in this chapter. One of the things that I was, as I was thinking about the, the sort of as I was to start this sermon, has, you know, what about you in your life? Can you think in terms of any real significant events that have happened in your life? Or if you think about life in general, for are there significant events that you think that are common to most people in life? I can remember many years ago I was doing, I've done this a couple of courses I've done in, in studying sort of, you know, the, they call human growth and development when you do some psycho psychology courses, looking at life from when you are born to when you die. And they often divide it up into all these different stages and there's a whole variety of different ways that, that they classify the, the, the sort of stages that people go through in life. And as I was studying that, one, one uh, writer and one, actually showed a, a, a film of a, a guy giving a talk. He talked about life as a, a series of detachments rather than sort of looking in stages. There's stages in your life where you're detached. They talked about birth and that's when the... The, the, the baby is born, it's no longer part of mum. Then when the child goes to school, it's no longer at home, it's, it's, you know, the child is now going to school. And then in talking in terms of start, after, start, after being at school for some years, then starting work. And then it talks in terms of marriage or moving out of home. And then, and then goes on and looking at when, when in the end of your working life you come to the stage when you retire. So it talks in terms of a series of detachments when you, there's a break from what you've been, what you've been experiencing and you're going into entering a new stage of your life. And these are sort of, you know, they're sort of significant times in your life. When you go to the Bible and it talks about time, there are three words in the New Testament that are used to describe time. There's the word chronos, which is the, you know, chronological and all that, the meaning time. And that, that word's used 54 times in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Then there's the word for hour, or aura, which we, and we, with the Greek word, which we get the word hour, which is a specific time. Then there's another word that's used for time, which is called kairos. And that's when there's a, a special event, where there's a special event in a person's life. And so that's what I thought these series of detachments are when there's a significant event. Each of us have significant events in our lives, significant times when things happen. And for each of us, it will be different. And in this passage that I've read to you, the, the first few verses of this chapter, in verse 6, Therefore Jesus told him, The right time for me has not yet come. For you any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify what he does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not going because for me the right time has not yet come. And Jesus used the word kairos. It's not the right time. And I was reading one commentator. It said in this passage the word is not our, the word is kairos, which characteristically means an opportunity. It means the best time, the most suitable opportunity to do something. It means the moment when circumstances are not suitable. It means when we often call the psychological moment. It means that opportunity that must be grasped lest it never return. And so the Lord's saying, this is not the right time for him to go up to Jerusalem. He's going to hang back and he's going to go up later. And one paraphrase of this verse was, if I go up just now, I will not get the opportunity that I'm looking for. 
And so it's important for us as we walk with God to be in tune with him so that we will be making the most of those opportunities, those kairos events that we get. You know, and even though in this chapter, you know, we see that God was at work and that we were superintending these events, we also see that at times it was a little chaotic. And we're going to see as we go, if we go through the chapter, we see some of the struggles that went on. The Lord understood the future and he understood his future was controlled by God. And at this stage, we're looking at the time was about six months before he was going to be crucified. It was six months before Easter. And, I'm, and this morning, I'm just going to refer to the first in three different, uh, pe- lots of people that are found in this chapter, the Lord's interaction with his brothers, the Lord's interaction with the crowds and the Jewish religious leaders. I was trying, going to try and separate the crowd from the religious leaders, but it seems to overlap a fair bit. And thirdly, I'm going to talk about his com- the comments of Nicodemus right at the very end of the chapter. So we're going to look at three main lots of people, the brothers, the crowd, including the religious leaders, and thirdly, we're going to talk about the interaction there with Nicodemus. And we're, we're, in this whole context, we're, right, we're due in the, the third year of the Lord's ministry, as I mentioned, it's about six months before the Lord was going to be crucified. We, if, you go, if you've got a study Bible, it'll tell you about the, the first year they took, refer to the Lord's, the year of inauguration. And the second year, it talks about the popularity, the year of popularity. And the third year is, is the year of opposition, where there was lots of conflict going on. And so here we're going to find that there's these words after this, these immediate events, events just be, you know, between chapter 6 and chapter 7, include a lot of things. Well, First, chapter 6 and cha- included the walking on the water and the, and the feeding of the 5,000. And then we find that the Lord goes, if we go to the other Gospels, we find that the Lord fed the 4,000. And we find that's when Peter testified that Jesus is the Son of God. And he, Jesus, Lord told his disciples he was going to die. He also, it's the time of the transfiguration, where the Lord, so where the Lord paid the temple tax. And, and then there's a lot of those, all those things that are happening. And then the Lord decides it's time to go back to go to Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in October. And of course, as we go to the beginning of the chapter, he'd stayed away from Jerusalem. The Jews were there, were there waiting to take his life. And of course, this is where, the, the, where John talk, makes reference to the, the brothers. And his brothers seem to be either unaware of the conspiracy or they might have felt it wasn't important or they might have felt that the Lord could deal with it. It was common knowledge that there was this possibility of conflict because the Jews were there waiting for him to take his life. It seemed as though the brothers had their their own agenda and they're not mentioned by name specifically but they're spoken about as a group. I can remember just a few months ago I went through and talked about James the Lord's brother and and gave a character study and we talked about James and the things that he experienced and so this morning I'm going to probably go over some of the things that I said a few few months ago and uh, when I when I was talking about James because the same things apply to this group as the brothers and so it's the brothers they're not sort of identified individually they're they're spoken about as as a group Uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 13 you find the brothers names are mentioned Uh, there was James there was Joseph there was Simon, 
And there was Judas and also there were a couple, some sisters as well. So there were at least four brothers. And so it's talking about these, this group as a, as a, as a, as a group in, in, in one sort of way, right? referring to them specifically as in, individually as by name. See, the, the brothers had no understanding of what was going on because it made it very clear that the brothers did not believe in him. A non-Christian person has a very different way of thinking to a Christian. If, you've become a, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then you think very differently. You, you're from a, a, you look at things from a very different perspective to, to other people around you. But all we know is that the brothers were there and they were sort of telling him to go and make a name for himself and perform more miracles and so on. They had a very different outlook to what the Lord and so they were on a different wavelength to him. But we know also that as, you, as Jesus was crucified, none of his biological brothers were asked to care for him, but John was. And uh, they, you know, John cared for the mother. But all we do know is when we come to Acts chapter 1, we find that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, that's the disciples, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Something significant had happened between the time that the Lord, you know, this time in, in Act, that we read about in, in John 7, right through past the crucifixion and resurrection, we find that something had happened that these, caused these brothers to, to have a complete turnaround. Here they are now with Mary and, it's, and they're regarded as being disciples of the Lord Jesus. They're, they're part of this group. We do know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 7, that the Lord appeared to James, the brother of the Lord. But, 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 you know, but that's all we know. We don't know much more. We're given very little information. All we know is that what, now, once they were referred to, as we've read here, as those who they didn't believe, and now they're, sit, they're there with Mary and praying and being part of the group of the disciples. And it, and it makes it very clear that the Lord had personally appeared to James. I would suggest to you that somewhere between you know, Acts 1 and the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord, somewhere in there those, these brothers were converted, particularly James and, 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 and the other brothers as well. And, they became, and James particularly became a significant leader in the Jerusalem church. He was respected by the, by the, by the apostles, and when, particularly when Paul goes up after his conversion, when he, in Galatians 1.8, he says, I saw none other of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, it talks about James, Peter and John. So James, those reputed to be pillars of the church. So James certainly became a significant church leader. And it seems as though he was a man who was in tune with God because he was the one who had the, the spiritual discernment to, to recognise that Paul had been genuinely converted and he was no longer a threat to them in those verses that I've just read to you. Also, a little later, when Peter was released from prison, he uses the words in Acts chapter 12 and verse 17, tell James and the brothers about this. Now, whether he meant the brothers and his, the physical brothers of James or the, the brothers, meaning the brethren, meaning the Christians generally, I'm not quite sure. It's probably the Christians generally, but it may, it may, may have some allusion to the other to brothers as well. I'm not sure. But I tend to think it's probably the, the latter, the early one. I've said probably just general brothers in the Lord. 
And so here we find in John chapter 7, these brothers were there encouraging the Lord to go up and uh, makes it very clear in the passage that as John is writing it, that, that they weren't the people of faith. But something had happened. God was at work in their lives. And we find that two of the Lord's brothers, James and Jude, or Judas, the book of Jude was written by the brother of the Lord. So obviously they had faith in the Lord. They had come to the Lord and God was using them. God was at work. Back here, there's sort of you know, negative comments about them. And just sometimes, you know, for ourselves, God is able to work in people's life and transform people's lives. And just because somebody made a mistake back here doesn't mean to say that's going to be held against them for the rest of their lives. We need to be recognising that God is at work in the lives of people, transforming them and making them new creatures in Christ. And so that's what happened with these brothers. They became new creatures in Christ. Here, negatively, and the negative things are said about them, but later on they were positively in, in tune with God and used by God and served God. And we've got two books in the New Testament by brothers of the Lord Jesus. And so that's the first group of people I'm talking about. And so in the meantime, we find that the Lord chooses to travel up to Jerusalem. He did it secretly. We're not sure how that all came about, whether he, he, uh, you know, the roads may have been deserted because there weren't many people travelling because everybody had already gone up to Jerusalem at this time of the year. Or maybe they travelled on the, the sort of side tracks, the, 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 the less travelled routes, and maybe they travelled at night time. We don't really know. But we know very clearly that the Lord wasn't worried about trying to, to please the the. the the religious leaders or to please his brothers he had his own agenda he was do, he realized that what he had to do was he needed to be there at the god's right time for him and so we find in verse 14 it says halfway through the feast that jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach and this is where he came in contact with the crowd and the religious leaders and if you look at the comments if you're not going to go through all of them i'm just going to make some selected comments about things that was said and things that happened without going through de in, in detail, but there's a lot of inconsistencies. They seem to say, on one hand, it seems as though they're, they're keen to, to follow the Lord. On the other hand, they're trying to kill him. And, there's, and, and sometimes it's the same group of people, although the religious leaders were constantly against the Lord. If you, when you come to John's Gospel, when it says the word the Jews... It generally means those, religious, those people who were against the Lord, those who were in opposition to the Lord, those who were trying to undermine his authority, those who were, trying to, to, those who were plotting to kill him. And so the word Jews is used in that way. It's not talking about the people in general. And so it makes a distinction between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, the, and talking, the word Jews, and it talks about the crowd. And so... In verse, in verse 1, of course, it said he went up to Galilee purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were there were wanting to take his life. So there was this awareness that the Jews were there out to get him. And here, you know, he's there. And verse 11, it says, Now at the feast, they were watching him, asking, Where is that man? So they were, on, they were looking for him. In verse 12, among the crowds, there's widespread whispering, you know, some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he deceives the people. 
No one would say anything about him for fear of the Jews. He's there, he's up there, he, he start, he's, about, he's, 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 he's starting a teaching. They, 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 in verse 15, they were amazed. How did this man get such learning? So here he comes in, he, he's there. There's widespread whispering about him and he starts to teach and they say, wow, how could he know so much? And so there, was, there seemed to be a, an openness there. And then as he, the Lord goes on and he, he starts to teach about things, about how he's teaching, verses 16 and 19, how his teaching comes to, from God and he says, well, why are you trying to kill me? And their response followed, well, you're demon-possessed. You know, so on one hand they're saying, you know, how could he, you know, how could he know so much? And then the next minute they're saying he's demon-possessed. So there was this divided opinion about him. There were some who were, was, seemed as though they had an openness in their hearts and in their minds. Others were, seemed to be so closed-minded and in opposition to him. And that, wouldn't that be generally true of the crowd to, of people today? If you start talking about the Lord Jesus, some people would say, well, he was a good man. And they would start to talk about you know, and they, some of the positive things. Others would, you know, would, would be very negative in their in their comments about him and so the Lord goes back and he starts to talk about the miracle that he that he performed in in, in chapter 5 and the people you know they the, you know the people there they they as he starts to talk about the the Sabbath and as they become there's a whole lot of discussion goes on you know and there's this whole thing of the, the crowd were just responding in different ways some were sort of being positive, some were negative. And, uh, and at this point, in verse 25, there seemed, there's a, a comment that's made. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And they said, here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities concluded that he is the Christ? Now that's, it seems as though, that when you read that through in the English, that that's a, well, have they re- a, are they really sort of serious about this? Now, in the Greek construction, there's, when you ask a question, there are sometimes you ask a question and the answer is yes. Sometimes you ask a question and the answer is no. In the construction here, have the authorities really concluded he is the Christ? No way. The answer is no. They haven't. And the crowd could see this. The crowd could see that there are, you know, the authorities are against... And it seems as though they could identify that the fact that they were so bigoted and they were so, you know, so against the Lord. And yet they themselves, a the crowd, was sort of swinging one way or another. They were moving from, from being positive about him to being negative about him. Some were, were, were sort of, yes, and some were saying no. And they sort of, it seems as though it swings that way. It's interesting that today is Palm Sunday, isn't it? And if we were, looked at the passages where Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem. And the crowd, you know, they, 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 with the palm branches and the welcome and uh, greeting him as their king. And what happened a week, less than a week later? They took him and they crucified him. The crowd is fickle. The crowd changes. The crowd, you know, moves from, is, being, is able to be manipulated by people. And this crowd seemed to be the same way. There was a mixture of those who were believing and those who were, those were for and those who were against. And as you go over to verse 30 and 31, you know, there was a variety of responses. And it says, 
In verse 31, still many of the crowd put their faith in him. With all this going on, some of the crowd responded and put their faith in the Lord. But then in verse 32, the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest the Lord. So there's this tension, some believing, some not believing. So the question I'd ask you this morning, what do you think about the Lord Jesus? Who is, to you? Who is he to you? Is he just a good man? Or is he your Lord and your Saviour? Do you have a faith and a trust in him? And so this is what was going on with this crowd. Some were putting their faith in him. Some were recognising. You know, I mean, one of the things, in the, in the, again, in that same verse 31, there's another one of these questions that has an answer, no. They said, when Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? No, no way. You know, they had recognised him, who, who he was. They knew him as the Lord. They recognised that, that nobody could do more miraculous signs than he is. That's another one of those questions with an answer, no. And, but the, that's the, it was the crowd. But the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, the temple guards, were sent to arrest the Lord because they were wanting to get rid of him. And in the midst of all of this, probably the most well-known passage from this from this chapter is when the Lord Jesus in verses 37 and 39 about halfway through the feast now where the feast went for eight, seven days officially and then there was the eighth day which was the big celebration and so you know halfway through this time he went there but on the last day we're not sure whether it was the seventh day or the eighth day and Bible scholars debate and argue, was it the seventh day or the eighth day? Because the official feast went for seven and they had the big celebration on the eighth. And whether the last eighth day was regarded as the day of celebration or not doesn't really matter. But on this day, whether the seventh or the eighth day, the Lord stands up, the last and the greatest day of the feast. Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Here he's standing up and says, Anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Remember the words that he spoke to the lady at the well? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the Lord had used this same terminology of water. But the significance of this was at this particular feast that went on for seven days. The people would live in booths and there would be a whole lot of offerings uh, that were offered and you can read about this in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16 and Numbers chapter 29. There's three books of the, in the, the Pentateuch that give outline of what happens at the, the Feast of Tabernacles and the significance of it. And so they had the whole lot of offerings and the people lived in, in booths and they had less offerings. They started with a large number and they were, just re, they were reducing in number each day. One of the things that happened during this feast, which is not a biblical thing, but something that they actually practiced, was that they would, uh, a priest would go to, to the pool of Siloam to fetch some water. 
and they put it in a golden pitcher and he would bring it up to the temple and he'd pour it in a funnel and the water would run down right beside the altar where they offered the burnt offering. And they did that day after day. That was, and they would have a big procession with it as they went down there and got it and they, as they poured the water out. That was what went on. I have no doubt that when the Lord uses, this, uses these words about, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. I'm sure that they were able to identify, with, as they knew, as that was done day after day after day, the seven days of the, the feet each day. And as the Lord on the last day said that, I'm sure that they would have got the point of who he's saying who he is. He is the one that they could rely on. He was the one that, as it says in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He's talking about himself as the, the Messiah. He's introducing and letting them know who he is. And of course, this was going on. And the people and the religious leaders were you know, plotting to kill the Lord and they were wanting, they were wanting him to dead. Some of the crowd had had made a, a step of faith and had accepted him as their Lord and their Saviour. And there's out of the, in, these, in verse 40, it said, On hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Christ. They're saying the same thing, really. The prophet that's referred to in Deuteronomy, as the pro Moses said, the prophet like me, you know, like me, God is going to raise up. And here he's, he's saying, Others said he's the Christ. And so they were, you know, the people, and it says in verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. And I've already said in the same way to even today, people have divided opinions about the Lord. And even though some of the people there were wanting to lay hands on him, they couldn't. The Lord, it wasn't the Lord's time to be taken and to be crucified. It wasn't the time for the Lord to be arrested and tried and so on. That was going to happen in six months, six months later. But here... In the midst of all this going on, some had faith and some didn't. And then we introduced to it right at the very end, when there's a discussion about what's going about Galilee and so on. Nicodemus, who had been gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, "Does our law contem condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing?" They replied, "Are you from Galilee? To look into it, and you'll find." that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Nicodemus was the person, as we read about, in, in, we had messages about in John chapter 3. He was the one who was told, you must be born again, born of the water and of the Spirit. He understood but, you know, that, you know, the, new birth, the necessity of new birth. And here he is, asking questions. He's part of the, the religious leaders. He's part of this group. And they were denying even any of them that believed in the Lord. Incidentally, as we go on later on, at the, after the Lord was crucified, and, uh, and who went to ask for the body of the Lord? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, two of the people from the, from the religious leaders, were those two. So they sort of asking questions. Any, anyone from our group, any one of us following the Lord, they're making the implication that the answer was no. But Nicodemus is speaking up. And their response was, well, are there any, are, you know, they, you know, 
They replied, are you from Galilee? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, is that a truthful statement? Do any of you know the name of a prophet that came from Galilee? Well, where did, where did Jonah come from? He came from Galilee. Some believe that the, 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 the prophet Nahum, the town that he comes from, people don't, I'm not quite sure where it is, but many people believe that also was in Galilee. Some people also would argue that the prophet Hosea came from Galilee. We know well, the, the, second, the, the second and the third names I've given to you, there may be some doubt about them, but certainly not the first. Just because they said it and they were religious leaders does not make it true. Just because I, as a pastor, say something, it doesn't make it true. Check your Bibles to see what is said is from the Bible and is accurate. These people were making statements that they were the religious leaders of the Jews at the time and they were making statements that were not accurate. They were not true because there's at least one prophet and possibly two others who came from Galilee. And so here Nicodemus is speaking up and he's involved and it seems as though he's quietly letting his influence come. He doesn't come out right and say, yes, I'm one of his followers at this stage. But it seems to me that he had made a step of faith earlier from John chapter 3. It seems as though here he is making, uh, uh, making moves to speak up for the Lord in here in John chapter 7. But by John chapter 19, he, was, he came out and asked, you know, was part of the, 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 the consignment, of, the, the delegation of people that were there asking for the body of the Lord. So it seems like he came right out and was nailing his colours to the mast well and truly at this time. And so here we find Nicodemus in this whole situation, what the brothers who didn't believe had later believed, the crowd who were ambivalent, mixed feelings, some believed, some didn't, Religious leaders stayed firm and they, they weren't prepared. To, they only wanted to, to, to get rid of the Lord. And here we find Nicodemus making his stand and slow, you know, slowly nailing his colours to the mast. And it seems to me that he came through and, and I believe he had a faith in the Lord Jesus. And so here we find these mixed responses. So in all of this, as we come to the end of my, my message this morning, do you see yourself in some of these situations can you identify yourself as you as we look at this chapter people who hadn't believed and now do believe people who may be still sorting things out maybe a bit confused and not quite sure whether you where you are in your spiritual relationship with the lord or you're like nicodemus who have made your step and you're slowly nailing your colors to the mast and slowly coming out and making clear that you're witness for the lord these three different lots of people, three different ways of responding. One of the things is that right now you might be full of some, some doubts and some fears. I was reading the, the story of the, the transfiguration just this last week. And the man who, you know, in that passage, he talks about the person that, you know, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe. Help me in my unbelief some of us might have a belief but we've got some doubts and some fears 
And it's, you know, it's okay to have those doubts and fears as long as you're seeking to find answers for them, as long as you don't use your doubts and your fears as, a, as an excuse for not facing up to spiritual things whatsoever. And so this morning, as we think about these three different groups of people, the, 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 the brothers, the crowd, and Nicodemus as an individual, where do you sit in all of this? Can you identify for yourself? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who knows and understands everything that's going on in our lives. You know everything about each of us. You know each of our situations and each of our circumstances. Lord, help us to hand our lives over to you. Help us to walk closely to you. And help us, Lord, to be people of integrity and honesty. Help us not to be caught up and pressured by other people, but help us to walk humbly with you and seeking to honour and seeking to please you in all that we do in the way that we live our lives. Help us, Lord, we need your help. Help us, Lord, in our doubts and our fears to hand them over to you and allow you to be at work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.